Good morning. I know you're trying to make, trying to keep from making a smart aleck remark, aren't you? No, I think it's a beautiful shirt. Even though I blend in, you you do. But I'm going to do my best to not have a bad, bad sermon today because I feel <laughs> rather sheepish since since my daughter loves my dad jokes. She's hiding behind a screen right now in the booth, so I figure. Um, take a chance. Hey, um, so this is week two of this series, The Power of If. This word, if, occurs 1,784 times in Scripture. And for the most part, when it occurs, it is a conditional conjunction. Basically, what that means is there is this statement, if we do something or if God does something, then this will happen. And so these ifs are so, so important. And here in Romans chapter 8, there are actually 10 different ifs. And all of them seem to be building towards this one really, really important if in verse 31. And it says, if God is for us, then who can be against us? If God is for us, if God is on our side, if God has our best interest, then who can be against you? What, what could possibly happen that God is not in control of. And, and basically for this series, the thing I want you to walk away with is this understanding above everything else that God is for you. God passionately loves you. He has been pursuing you from the very beginning. And he is for you. He wants the very best for your life. And so last week as we began this series, we began with the if only regrets the regrets of our past, things that we wish we could take back. Those moments when we made the wrong choice in anything in our life, we would love to be able to go back and redo it. Go back before the affair and change the choices that we made. Go back before we told the lie that changed everything from that point on. We would love to be able to go back in time and do things. But the beauty here in Romans 8 is how Paul begins with this one really, really important statement. That in Christ, there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. What what does that mean? It means God's not going to hold it over your head. That when we confess our sins, when we say, God, we have messed up, we have sinned, that God forgives us fully and freely. And as we said, it doesn't mean there aren't consequences for our actions. Yes, God forgives you, but you may still have to face the consequences of broken relationship. Things might not be like you want them to be or like they once were before. But in Christ, you stand forgiven and set free. In 1964, a Harvard professor named Robert Rosenthal, wanted to see how the expectations of teachers affected the student's ability to learn. And so specifically, what would happen if teachers thought that their students were intellectually superior to the students they normally taught? How would this affect them? And so in this school district in San Francisco, they gave all of this one grade a basic standardized IQ test. But they changed the title page of it to read Harvard Test of Inflected Acquisition. 
If you have any idea what that actually means, come talk to me afterwards, because I would love to know. And so the students took the test, and the teachers gave the test with the understanding that this was a superior test for Harvard and would show how bright these students were. And so after the test, they randomly selected three teachers from the district, and they randomly selected 30 students for each class, regardless of how they did on the test. And they placed these students with these teachers. And what they found is over the next two years, all 30 students in all three classes progressed at a rate higher than all of the other students. And and it's interesting to to start thinking, well, why was that? And, And what they found was that the teachers who believed their students were superior intellectually were placed under their care, and so their effort increased, their conversation, their attention, everything they did was with this incredible sense of urgency to help these students grow to reach their potential. It's that these teachers taught as if those students were intellectually superior to everyone else. And those students, knowing how they had done on this test, progressed as if they really were as smart as the test said they were. It's interesting how that thought seeped into their mind and their heart and changed everything about the trajectory of their life. How that idea that they really were as smart as the test said. They they lived as if this were true. And as we move on this week, I want to look at, in spite of the if only regrets, how do we live with this faith as if it's true? As if all of the promises of God are true. And I want to jump back into where we left off last week in verse 9 of chapter 8. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Let's kind of unpack for just a second the power of what Paul says here because I think something is really important that you need to understand. That I believe that what Jesus does on the cross is gives up all power for Him to be able to resurrect Himself from the dead. Jesus says, I'm I'm separating myself from the power 
to be able to raise myself, and I am simply trusting in the power of God to be able to raise me. I think that's what Paul means in Philippians 2, when he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. That he let go of his godliness, or godness, if that's a word, and entered into death relying completely on the power of God to raise him up from the dead. And it was the Spirit of God, it says, that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. And it's this Spirit that's supposed to give life to you. That same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives within you. He gives life to you. Now that word spirit occurs 21 times here in Romans 8. And the word in Greek is pneuma, and the word in Hebrew is ruach. And in both cases, it means spirit, breath, or wind. The translation is the exact same in both spirit, breath, and wind. And you think about how the story begins in Genesis. That the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters and God speaks into this vast nothingness and creates this incredible creation. And the pinnacle of that creation is man. And it says that God breathed into man right, the breath of life. And then the man became a living being. And breath is something really funny when you kind of think about it. Because the, the fact is you don't have to think about it to breathe. It's an involuntary action. You do it. Unless I bring it to your attention and you start thinking about breathing. And then it becomes a voluntary action where you start to have to remind yourself that I need to breathe. But you breathe in a day, on average, about 26,000 to 28,000 times a day. About 20 breaths every single minute of every single day. Scientists say that you should only be breathing. If everything was functioning in your world correctly, you should only take about four to six breaths a minute. Anyone take four to six breaths a minute? You should only take four to six. But, but we have a world full of breathing problems. We, we have a world that struggles to breathe between allergies and asthma and COPD and pulmonary fibrosis, environmental effects, genetics, diet, exercise. We live in a world that struggles to breathe. But that very breath that you take was given to you as a gift by God. And I don't know about you, but I take that for granted. I don't think about that very often. There are very few times I say, God, I'm so thankful for the breath in my lungs. I just go on every day breathing. And it's when you stop breathing that you cease to exist. But it's that spirit 
here he says, that also gives life. It's not just the breath that God put in your lungs that gives you life. It's also his spirit that he says he sent to live within you and to give you strength. That was going to be with you and empower you. But what we find in life are there are moments that take our breath away. See, it's not just that we struggle to breathe all the time. There are some times that we struggle to breathe more than others. Have you ever had one of those moments that took your breath away? The phone call that they had finally passed away. The day you realized that divorce was inevitable. When you said goodbye to a child. When you lost the job and all sense of security seems to fade as well. We, we have these moments in our life that just leave us breathless. Leave us searching for how we are to respond and how are we to go forward. When it seems like we live in a world where we don't know how to go forward. As we're struggling to grasp our breath. See, this breath that was given from the beginning encountered a problem early on. Is the breath that was given to man was taken for granted. And sin enters the world, and with sin comes death. And the result of that was a curse. Right? There was a curse that came with it. Understand, this is not God saying, hey, I'm going to punish you and curse you for what you... The curse was the natural consequences that came with their actions. Their, their sin was the punishment, but it was the natural consequences that, closed, that followed their disobedience. They, they sinned, and with that curse came pain. That you're going to have pain when you bear children. You're going to have pain as you work the ground. Pain was a part of the curse, and it entered the world. And I think it's the pain that began to make breathing really difficult. So a few pounds ago, I was a rather avid runner and really like to do a lot of running. And I haven't been in the last couple of years, and so I probably should start that again. Um, but my favorite race was always the Fresh 15. It's here in Tyler. It's a local race. It's basically 9.3 miles. Um, and it, it's a fun race. It starts at Fresh and goes down, does a little loop and comes back. This was a picture from 2017, and this was my fastest time I ever ran Fresh 15, one hour and 19 minutes and five seconds. And these are some of my buddies that I ran with and rode my bike with a lot and, and worked out with, and they were kind of pacing me. Okay? And so this point right here where this picture was taken was, I think, at about seven and a half miles into the race, so of a nine-mile run. Got a mile and a half less left. This picture was taken a mile later. <laughs> go, go back to the first one. 
Notice my face. Everything's good. Having a nice conversation. Go to the next one. And then some staff members got a hold of it and decided to caption it with lots of captions. It's really not that funny. But, but what happened over the course of that mile was nothing to do with me and my pace and my effort. All that stayed the same. What happened is I encountered three really, really big hills. And the last mile and a half of this race is three really, really, really big hills. Dueling Oaks, the one on the backside of Fresh that has two big climbs, and then the other one, I forget, Crosswater or something, um, Cross Lake, I forget what it's called. But those three hills, just back to back to back, literally like bury you to the point where your muscles are dying and you're out of breath and you're really struggling. And it's what I encountered that brought on the pain. It was what was happening around me that produced this reaction, this response of struggling to make it. Because here's my guess, is every single one of you in this room has been in those places in your life where you're moving and everything seems to be going great and you get the phone call or you get the news and everything in your life seems like it stops and you start struggling to breathe. And maybe not just breathe physically, but to breathe spiritually. To, to take a deep breath and allow God's Spirit to fill your lungs. But, but as David talked about during communion, on the other side of that pain, on the other side of that hurt, is resurrection. Without it, resurrection is an impossibility. You don't get to go through the joy and glory of resurrection without first walking through the pain. Because before resurrection is possible, death must happen. So he goes on as he's talking about the Spirit. The Spirit's going to, verse 12, he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. And he's not meaning like he's holding. Like this is, our, our, is the people who were created to bear the image of God. This is our, our job. This is our role in this world. We have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. Verse 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Understand this. Death always precedes resurrection. Death always precedes resurrection. Death does not come without pain 
and loss of breath. You have to go through the darkness of the grave before you get to the other side. So in verse 14, he says this, For those, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. The, the Spirit that you received does not make you slaves so that you do not live in fear, right? He, he says this, the Spirit you received, go on, I'm sorry, go to the, yeah. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And you think about it, like how, how much, um, I guess, hope we place in our earthly fathers. And I understand, for some of you, maybe that's not the case. But for me growing up, I remember how much trust I had in my dad. Those times, those moments when I was terrified by something. I remember at times when tornadoes would roll through Garland, Texas. They never really hit that close to our house. They always hit in Garland. But we would always get out into the hall right outside of my bedroom. My mom would put a mattress over the, the doorknobs that kind of held it up, and we'd kind of hunker down in there as kids. Everyone else probably did this. Back before we had television that told us where the tornado was, like to the actual you know, exact location. But we, we'd get under there, and I always, my mom, I always appreciated her voice because it was very calming. But for some reason, whenever my dad was there, I felt like everything was going to be okay. Like he gave me this incredible sense of comfort that he's there and he's with me and it's going to be okay. And, and that doesn't change a whole lot as you get older. But there are still those times. I, I remember in college when I was at Harding, my, my last year there, I'd been given this grant. I didn't apply for it, but they gave it to me. And I'm sitting here thinking, well, that's, that's a huge blessing. It, it was like $2,300, $2,400. And so I used that to go ahead and pay out some of my rent and do a lot of these other things. And then the financial aid people called me and said, hey, um, we're struggling to find your paperwork for this grant. I said, well, I, I didn't apply for it. Y'all just gave it to me. They said, yeah, it doesn't really work that way. And so we're going to need you to give that money back. And I'll just tell you, as a 22-year-old college student, you don't usually have like 2300 bucks readily available. Where you're like, oh, yeah, yeah let, me, let me do that. And I remember calling my dad, and I was so afraid. Dad, they, they said I'm going to have to pay this money back. I don't know what I'm going to do. And my dad just said, I don't either. <laughs> well, that, that wasn't the bad. Okay. <laughs> I don't either, but it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. We'll get it taken care of. And immediately that anxiety that I felt just kind of dissipated, right? 
And he says that this, this is this God. In him we cry, Abba, we cry, Father. This God that we know loves and protects us and is there for us. He says this in verse 17, we. Now if we are the children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Pain and death will come before resurrection. Like you have to walk through the darkness and the hard times and the pain before you get there. So, so the question then is what if your ability to breathe has nothing to do with your circumstances and everything to do with your connectedness to Christ? What, what if it has nothing to do with your circumstances and everything? to do with your connectedness to Christ. Because what what we know science-wise is learning new breathing patterns will improve your health. And I think the same thing is true spiritually. Learning new breathing patterns, learning to inhale God's Word, listening to His voice, fasting, learning to exhale through prayer, through gratitude, through memorizing God's Word and speaking it constantly. Because what that does is it begins to anchor our life to the promises of God. And it's those promises that we stand on when times get difficult. It's so that we can live as if this were true, right? Like we live as if God is for you. Live as if He will never leave or forsake you. Live as If He will uphold you, live as if He is your strength and your shield. Live your life as as if He will provide all good things in Christ. Live as if He will go before you. Live as if He will give you rest. Live as if He will remember your sins no more. Like Those promises that we take into our life, and they become the way that we breathe. And they sink deep, deep down into our soul, into our spirit, and they take control. And it begins to renew the way we think and the way we live life. See, we search for it everywhere. We search for strength and assurance and security. But what if the whole time Everything that we're seeking is right in front of you. A man named Horatio Spatford lived in the 1800s. He was a lawyer and a real estate investor who lived in Chicago. His wife, Anna, had a son and four daughters. And in 1871, they lost their four-year-old son to the scarlet fever. Just months later was the great Chicago fire in 1871. And they lost so many of their investments, so much of their property. Just two years later, Anna, Horatio, and their four daughters 
or taking a family vacation, traveling to Europe. And Horatio had business to take care of here in the States, and so he stayed behind. Sent his wife and his daughters on ahead of him. Somewhere across the Atlantic, their ship hit another vessel and sank. His wife Anna was the only one to survive. And sent word by telegram back to Horatio Spafford these two simple words saved alone. And Spafford boarded a ship and set sail to meet his wife Anna with the pain and tragedy of so much loss. And as they reached the spot over the Atlantic where the ship had sunk and his daughters had drowned, the captain let him know. And as he looked out over this vast ocean, he sat down and he penned these words. When peace, like a river, attendeth my ways, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. So here's what I know, is you're going to go through really hard days, really difficult times, and you're going to experience loss and pain and loss of security and loss of what seemed like certainty. It's going to happen. But as we anchor ourselves to the promises of God, what we find is the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is still giving life to you. And we could simply pray for the strength to live as if it were true. Father, today we thank you for this time. God, we're grateful for your word that blesses us, that speaks powerfully and boldly to us. And Father, it is my prayer that your spirit would invade our lives, that it would turn it over. And Father, that we would find ourselves falling once again into the arms of our Savior, trusting that it is Christ alone who has the power to save. And because we believe that's true, we can face today and we can face tomorrow because your goodness and your faithfulness has continued to give life. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our shepherds, their spouses are going to be around the back of the auditorium. If we could help you in any way as you follow Jesus, if you've never given your life to him, we would love to share with you. If you've never been baptized into his name, what a great day to do that. If we could just simply put our arm around you, hug you, pray over you if you're going through a difficult time, we would love to do that while we stand and sing.